winning was not about the glory or the payday. He, he understood that. He knew that winning was about the obstacles and the challenges and the pain that you go through to get there. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning. That is what we seek, that is what we truly want, and you absolutely are here to serve the world, and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So happy Memorial Day. Hope you guys are having a beautiful long weekend if you're in the United States celebrating Memorial Day, wherever you are, I hope you're feeling safe and excited and healthy and blessed. Um, I really feel so grateful on Memorial Day to live in this country, for sure. No country is perfect, but it's just such a beautiful, sacred thing. The dream that is America. And I know so many people have come to this country and have been given freedom like they never knew. And I am incredibly grateful to live in this country and grateful to all of the people who have sacrificed so that we can be here. And um, when we were at Disney World last week, Figment says, we see more with our minds than we do with our eyes. And I think that we see even more with our hearts. And I hope that we continue to have the insight and have the vision to dream bigger and to continue to add our gifts to the world and to continue to be each one of us individually a light that lights up our communities and our neighborhoods so that we each do our part to to make our, our neighborhoods better, our countries better, and ultimately the world better. Speaking of that, I'm going to be doing a five-day free workshop next week, starting June 7th, every single day for five days. I'll be showing up live. It's called Your Soul's Calling. And we're going to be spending five days helping you really clarify, like, what is that gift that just keeps whispering to you? And 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 what would it look like to fully step into that? And how is it possible that you could get paid to do you, to be you every single day, adding your gifts. And, and we're going to go over a lot of different things, which I think are both tactical and tangible, but also in, in sort of the bigger realm of changing your vibration and having courage. We're going to, we're going to overcome imposter syndrome together and we're really going to claim your calling. So come and join me. It's free. You can go to kathyheller.com slash challenge. I cannot wait to see you guys in there to interact with you. It's going to be so fun. So join now. You can get in in the Facebook group. It's already super active and engaged and we will be starting on Monday. All right. Well, I'm so excited because today we have Tim Grover here. This conversation was just, it was so powerful. I cried a couple of times. Tim is such an exceptional person. He is a physical and mental performance coach to some pretty famous athletes, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, plus a ton of other Hall of Famers and peak performers. Tim is also the CEO of Attack Athletics. He's a keynote speaker, a consultant to business leaders and elite achievers, and he's a best-selling author. And in this episode, we're going to talk about his new book, Winning, The Unforgiving Race to Greatness, which covers the key principles for becoming the master of your craft, rising to excellence, and living in your purpose every single day. It is such an empowering book, so you definitely are going to want to go get your copy. We also talk a lot about what you can learn from Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant when it comes to being the best, because it wasn't just about their physical talent that made them these incredible, iconic humans and athletes. There's a mindset that is what makes you Michael Jordan. 
there's a whole world that goes on inside of him. And I think that Tim would agree that that piece is even more important. Not only is Tim going to be here today to give you valuable insights, but he's also one of the most humble people I've ever sat with. So I think that who he is is really going to blow your mind, his his own story, his parents' story. It's just truly inspiring to see how his parents came to this country as immigrants and they had a dream and he became a key player in turning their dreams into realities and then helping some of the most phenomenal athletes of all time become legends. So Without further ado, please welcome the extraordinary Tim Grover. So I know you've done probably 16,000 of these. So thank you for coming. Thank you for coming on. No problem. So we've been doing this four years. We just crossed like 21 million downloads. And everyone who's listening wants to find more of a sense of meaning and purpose in their life and be truly successful. So I think that you are one of the most perfect people to have here. So thank you for coming and sharing this yet again. No, Kathy, my honor. Thank you so much. And congratulations. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, I think that words from the heart speak to the heart. And I think that you do that. I want to talk a little bit about your journey. And then I want to talk so much about this book because this book is so special and everybody needs to kind of know it front and back, but not everybody knows your story. So let's talk a little bit about you and how you even arrived at being who you are in the world. Like, what was that progression like? Sure. Well, actually, I was born in London, England, and both my parents are Indian. And we moved to the United States when we, when I was four years old. How the journey started was my mom was a nurse practitioner, and she actually came to the States before my dad, my brother, and myself did, because there's a big shortage in the States for nursing. So she was able to get a job over here. So for the first couple of years after that, my father raised both of my, uh, my brother and myself. Wow. Then... Then we transitioned. When she got settled, then we transitioned over here. And my dad, who's extre- extremely educated in physiology and anatomy, they said his teaching license did not transfer to the States. So he had to take a job as what they called a degreaser. And to get the definition of a degreaser is after medical school, after each semester, each quarter, when you're done dissecting the cadavers, you have to get rid of them. There's no garbage truck that comes, picks them up. So his job was after the classes, these cadavers weigh well over 500 pounds because you know the, the fluids and the embalming and all that other stuff. So back then how you got rid of them was you had to put them in a furnace. So his job was to dismantle them, dismantle them and put them in the furnace. My God. Yeah. So I actually got a chance to see him do that. He was like, this is what you have to do to support your family. And even now it's very difficult for me to tell that story, but that laid the groundwork for me. And moving forward, went to high school, went to college, played basketball at University of Illinois, when as a freshman, had no idea what I wanted to do, not a clue. So a kinesiology was the first thing that was offered. They said, hey, you should look into this course. I was like, look into it. I can't even spell it. But it was like, hey, it's something that you may enjoy. All right, so I took a couple of classes. I'm like, yeah, you know what? This is something I could be really interested in. I really started to take a liking to it. And I really, I was like, okay, I can excel at this. The difficult part was for people that don't know, when you have Indian parents, Back then, you only had two career choices, doctor or a doctor. And I didn't want to do either one of them. So I told my parents that I'm not going to medical school, which was like, well, they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to go train professional athletes. I was like, what is that? That doesn't even exist. And I said, exactly. I said, I have an idea. I have a concept. And my dad was like, they were very supportive. They said, We'll let you go do what you want to do, but you, ha- you have to promise us one thing. I said, what is that? He said, you have to still take the entrance exam to medical school. I said, no problem. I said, I'll do that. So I took the entrance exam to medical school. I totally bombed it on purpose. All right. And my dad goes, nice try. <laughs> so he, he actually 
had already registered me for another one. And then what I did was I ended up taking that exam again. I did fairly well. I got into these different schools and I made a deal with them. I said, listen, let me pursue what I'm pursuing. And I said, if it doesn't work, I'll go back to medical school. So they said, not a problem. So I graduated with a master's degree in exercise science. Back then, I saw what my dad did. So I was like, all right, I'm done with school now. I can either do nothing or I can take a job that comes across. I took a job working at a local health club with a master's degree, making $3.35. That was the minimum wage back then. So seeing what my father went through allowed me to say, okay, he sacrificed, I got to sacrifice. And it ended up being one of the best decisions I made because as much knowledge as I had about books and understanding about trading, I didn't have any practical experience. So I started to work in the health club and started to work with all types of individuals. I started to work with, you know, recreational athletes, people that wanted to lose weight, you know, postnatal, whatever they wanted to do. And I built a reputation of like being this individual that was like who would get results because I, I paid attention to details that nobody else, nobody else thought about. Moving forward, about three years later, I ended up seeing an article in a newspaper. And, you know, my, pa- my parents are getting a little, they're getting a little like, hey, listen, what's going on here? <laughs> You know, but I I was I was still grossing a lot of money as a trainer. But, you know, to a family that came from a structure uh, that were thought about structure to them, a job wasn't a job unless you got a paycheck every two weeks. You had a 401k, you had paid vacation and you had health benefits. And I had none of those. And I, so even to this day, <laughs> even, even to this day, they're like, what are you going to get a real job? <laughs> right. So I ended up, um, I saw a little article in the paper said, Hey, how Michael Jordan was tired of taking a physical abuse for the Detroit Pistons. So I said, okay, let me see. Let me think about this. I was like, I'm going to send 14 letters to every single player on the Bulls organization, except Michael Jordan. I said, he's already so good, but if he sees the work I do with somebody else, he may take notice and I can get with him later on. And back then, remember, no emails, no text messages, no nothing. So you had to, I literally hand wrote the letters, went out, got stamps, I put them in the mailbox. I said, we'll see what happens. Obviously, one of the letters got to one of the players. Michael actually pulled it out of uh, somebody else's locker and said, hey, find out what this kid's about. And the team physician and the athletic uh, trainer at the time, they contacted me and literally put me through three months of more vigorous questions and training than I had in my six years of college to make sure I knew what I was doing. But they didn't tell me who the client was. They did not tell me who it was. So after three months, they gave me an address and like the person wants to meet you at 1.30. So I go to the, I go to the house, you know, before then, this was before the big gated house and all. I just rang the doorbell. Nobody answered, rang it twice. Nobody answered, rang it third time. Finally, Michael Jordan ends up opening up the door. No way. Yeah. That was my moment. That was my moment when, and I'm not a starstruck person, but everything I had prepared for up to that time everything I'd seen my parents do, everything I, I, I sacrificed, taking the low-end jobs, preparing myself, knowing more about my craft than the next person allowed me to sit down in front of this individual, explain to him what my philosophies were, what my thoughts were, and it was totally different than what everybody else had brought up to him. And he said, hey, listen, let's try it out for 30 days. 30 days turned into 15 years. He was actually my first professional client. And the caveat to this story that I really don't share with too many people is for the first three years, he never paid me. Look, not because he didn't want to, I never asked him for it. I never asked him for it. And then he finally, one day we finished the workout, he went upstairs and he came back down and he goes, I've never paid you. I said, yeah. (laughs) And he goes, well, how much do you want? I said, Michael, that's not for me to say. I said, you tell me what my value is to you. All right. He wrote a check 
put an envelope to this day. I don't know how much that check was. I took that envelope and handed it to my parents. I said, thank you. I think the check was pretty significant because my dad got a new car. My mom redid the whole house, but this was a way of me saying to them, thank you for believing in me. Well, we've done over 400 episodes and you have the most humility of anybody that I've spoken to. And, you know, it's no wonder why he's such a champion because this kind of goodness makes you unstoppable. You take a chance on an individual you had that nobody else would give a chance to. You believe in someone when you have no reason to believe in them. Yeah, it's pretty powerful to say the least. And what's also incredibly significant is the uncanny amount of value that you brought to him and his work. So what what happened between you two? What were you sort of focusing him on? What was it that was was being translated that you helped him to get that edge? Well, you know, everybody was only dealing with the physical component. And I, I just said, I said, Michael, there's so much more to this than just the physical thing. I said, you're already known as one of the top athletes, top individuals out there. But I said, as your star grows, there's going to be more stuff coming your, your way. There's going to be more distractions coming your way. There's going to be more people that are going to try to enter your life. I said, so let's start now in not only developing the physical capabilities, but let's also start training the mindset to deal with what we know is coming. That winning mindset, the thing that is going to continue to allow you to succeed and to deal with all the adversity that's going to come your way because the adversity is going to come your way. That's the big thing about winning. When you do win, everybody thinks it's this gracious thing and it's this glorious, and it is. It is, but the thing that no one wants to talk about, and I talk about it in the, in the book, is when you do win, what are the things that people don't see that winning brings? It's not always the goodness. It's how people treat you, when people start to judge you. Either people want to create distance from you or they want to get closer to you for the wrong reasons. You know, they look at you and they're like, you know, that person doesn't have time for us anymore. So you have all these things that are start going on in your head. And it doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, whether you're chasing a career, whether you're raising your kids, you win in all those things. And all those things that are gracious with winning, the fangs that come with winning, no one wants to talk about. One day it's wearing a halo and next day it's wearing a fangs. And I wanted to we work together on dealing with both aspects of the winning of the halo part and the fang part. Oh, that's so powerful because I've heard someone say recently, the word fan is also inside the word fanatic, right? And so it's yes. like a really thin line. How did you see him rise into his greatness? What is it that you felt that he was able to exemplify in those ways so that it didn't take him down? You know what? He understood that winning was not about the glory or the payday. He, he understood that. He knew that winning was about the obstacles and the challenges and the pain that you go through to get there. But the one thing he had that you see very few individuals, not just in athletes and everywhere, is that he had an obligation. He knew he was like, yeah, I have an obligation not only to myself, to my family, to the organization I play for, to the fans, to the people that pay ticket, that pay to see me. He was the only individual I always said, it was funny, he's the one person that could pull right, they had a private parking spot to pull right into the uh, into the United States. And he never did. He always parked his car outside because there were all these people standing around. And he was like, this might be the only chance they ever get to see me because they can't afford tickets to go inside. So to him to be that aware of the obligation he had for everybody, and he would always say, he, he would tell me, and this is something where we, we really connected. He was like, they're giving me something that's so much more valuable than what I'm giving them. He goes, 
they're giving me three hours out of their day that is non-refundable. You cannot get that time back that they could easily be choosing to do so many other things. But they said for the next three hours, I'm going to sit in front of the TV or go to this game, listen to the game on radio, whatever it is. So my obligation is to give these individuals the best I can possibly be. And we had that same mindset. Every individual I talk to, every individual I've trained, every corporation I deal with, every podcast that I do, my obligation is people are giving me something that's so valuable. They're taking time that they cannot get back. So why not produce a win, not only for myself, but for these individuals? It's, it's so beautiful. I'm, I'm just so in awe of everything you're saying, hanging on every word. My husband used to be one of the VPs of Fox Sports. And so we're a big basketball family. Mm. And John Wooden in this house is like, you know, <laughs> put on such a pedestal. And we've been to all these all-star breakfasts. And every time we go to these breakfasts, I, I feel like I'm in a religious event. Like I, It's like I'm talking to you right now. It's overwhelming. I don't know if people understand this level of greatness, but there's something extremely special about um, the organization of the NBA, really, and the people who are in the, the core of it, as you have been. There is a goodness and there is a, a, a level of greatness that I, it's unparalleled. I've honestly never seen it anywhere else. Yeah. The commissioners that they've had over the years and the things, the, the way they've implemented and how they hold majority of their players accountable and everything and the organization and what they try to, the, the product they try to place out, it's special. It, it really is. And each individual that comes over, that takes oh, the next commission that comes in, they always take it to a newer height. They're never satisfied because they know they have to get better. They know people's interests change. They have to keep people engaged. They don't want them... Just like winning doesn't want you to settle, the NBA does not want you to settle for something that's not at the highest standards. Well, you are such an example. I mean, to, to speak to you for even 14 seconds, you grow as a human just listening to you speak, honestly. You. Um, you. You've gone on to work with all of the, you know, not all of, but many of the greats. Mm -hmm. What does Kobe and Michael Jordan have in common? What's the through line in these people who are just untouchable? Well, you know what? Everybody wants to talk about the positive of these things. You know, oh, they were good people. Yes, they were good people. Yes, we know they're competitors. We know they were winners. We know all, all, you know about all that stuff. But I'm going to say something that like is going to be a little different that it's going to really relate to your audience really, really well. All right. They understood that in order to be the best at their craft, that there was going to be very little balance in their life. There was gonna be very, very little balance because everybody would tell them as their star grew, as they started to gain more notoriety that, hey, you need to have more balance. You need to have more balance. And they were like, listen, let me understand. Winning, it, it demands obsession. All right. It's going to demand obsession or it will find someone else to consume. You don't find balance. You create balance. And each and one of those individuals, they created balance, which was unique to them. Did it upset a lot of people? Yes, it did upset a lot of people. But they understood that this is my balance in order to succeed. If I want to be the best athlete out there, I want to be the best uh, basketball player, whatever it may be. Some things are going to have to take a back seat because time for everything equals time for nothing. As great as these individuals were, they've had the same issues that everybody goes through. They had, you know, they got personal stuff. They got family stuff. They got kids stuff. They're regular people in those aspects. They're regular people in those aspects. And they understood that, listen, not everything is going to be a perfect balance all the time. It's just not. In order to be that good at something, in order to continue to sacrifice to win over and over and over again, the scales are never going to be level. And one of the mm -hmm. examples I give to people all the time is like when I do my uh, talks, I was like, 
you know, who wants a zero life? You know, obviously nobody raises their hand. You know, I said, who wants zero happiness? Nobody raises their hand. I said, who wants zero success? Nobody raises their hands. I said, who wants zero love? Nobody raises their hand. And I said, what's the number on a perfectly balanced scale? It's a zero. So if you're constantly looking for all those things at the same time, okay, you're going to get very little of it. You're going to get average of everything. You're going to get average success, average happiness, average health, average love. That You're going to get all of that. Now, I'm not saying that the scale should never be tilted all the way, but you have to decide what's going to shift, where it's going to be. And those individuals knew when to shift from basketball to family time to vacation time to alone time. They constantly knew how to do those things. And that's how you get closer to balance because what they did was they didn't add, as everybody tells you, they deleted the unessentials. So we all have so much unessentials going on in our minds, in our lives, with the people that we surround ourselves with. And once we start to delete those things, then we get closer to balance. You know, I, I, one of the lines I say, I, I say in the book, I said, stop spending your time with individuals you don't like doing things you don't want to do. Yeah. And how many times do we say yes because we're so worried about somebody else's feelings, but we're putting our mindset, our interests, and how we feel behind somebody else's. And we do that too often. We do that too often. That doesn't allow you to win at the highest level. Yeah, that's really important. Really important. I mean, this whole last year, we were talking about what's essential, right? What's essential business? What's essential? It's like, how much of our lives, you know, now that mm-hmm. we just stopped and paused for a year and a half, did you realize it was just not important? You know, how much was it just like filling time or focusing in the wrong ways? It's absolutely true. Kathy, that's, that's such a great point because now during this, this time that happened is we had a lot of people had routines that this gave them a chance to really break out of that routine because their routines were not for success. Their routines were for comfort. And now when you get, and what happens is we do, we do things over and over again for a couple of reasons. We do them over and over again for comfort, or we do things over and over again to enhance our skill set at something. You know, if I take a bat, you know, how does these players get so good at shooting? They shoot those shots over and over and over and over again. That's a different way of a routine. What happened with a lot of individuals, they had this comfort routine, which the pandemic told everybody, hey, listen, this routine is not going to work for you anymore. You need to go figure this out. And how did things get shifted? Like, listen, <laughs> you get individuals, I'll always say, well, I want to spend more time with my significant other. Well, you got a chance to spend more time with your significant other. You know, I want to, I want to homeschool my kids. Well, you got a chance to homeschool your kids. So a lot of the things that you wished for that you could do, you got a chance to see how difficult it was and whether you actually wanted to do those things. And for some people, it got them out of their comfort zone and they advanced. And for other people, it put them even into a deeper place and more of a comforting place, which was not good for them. Yeah, that's so true. And what you just said before about how they take the shot over and over and over again, I so often feel that people will sort of like hit a dip and then they're just out, right? Like that whole idea of grit and stuff. And I think when people say things like greatest of all time, right? Which so many of the players you've worked with are, are just like, they're, they're so far ahead of anybody who's even close that people can somehow think like, oh, this is just like a God-given, lucky sort of pixie dust ability no. and they miss out. So can you sort of share with us? Because that's where you were, right? You were there with them in that place where they would be willing to cough up blood instead of get off the court because they wanted to get the edge. Like, can you help our listeners to understand what does it mean to go the distance? You wrote this incredible book, Winning the Unforgiving Race to Greatness. 
what's greatness? What's that difference between just doing it and actually becoming great at it? Well, here's like in the book, I said, winning speaks a different language. It's got its own different language. So one of the things that it tells you that other people don't tell you is that those shots are taken over and over again because majority of those shots, they're going to miss. And this is what's important to your listeners here. All right. We're going to fail at more things that we're going to succeed at. We're going to lose more often than we win. But this is the important part here. Everyone tells you when you fall down, you got to jump right back up. You got to stand right back up. I am totally against that, 100%. Once you fall and fail, you need to stay down there for a little bit. Why did you fall and fail? If If you stand back up, you're standing back the exact same person. Now, your pride and your ego tells you to stand right up because you don't want to look weak. Well, it it is a sign of weakness to stand back up and be worse when you stood back up than when you fell down. So these individuals were in this race to greatness all the time. And every time they failed, every time they lost, they stayed down there. They thought about why this happened. Then when they stood back up, they stood up a different person. So when they stood back up, they were stronger. When they lost and failed again and fell down, they stood up smarter. When they lost and failed and fell down again, they stood up more resilient. So every time they stood up, they were a different individual. Their mindset was completely different than when they fell the time before and they realized why they were down there. And there was like, okay, I don't want to go back down there again. And when you stand up, you stand up a different individual. When you stand up a different individual, that's how you continue to win. That's how you complete those championships. That's how you get those wins over and over again. That's how you get those shots where you shoot every single time knowing you have fear, but you don't have any doubt. You know, you've done, you said you've been at this for four years now. Every podcast you do, every new guest you have, it's starting all over again. People don't care how successful the individual, what you did yesterday, what you did uh, the day before. You know, listen, winning is going to show up today. It's going to show up tomorrow. Are you going to show up Today, are you going to show up tomorrow? Winning doesn't care about your past. It does not care about your past. And we have all those individuals that we all know them. Everybody has them. And they're usually very close in our circle that love to tell you about their wins. A year ago, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. That's because they're not willing to take any more shots. Ugh. That's so beautiful. You just said something. You said there's a difference between they might have fear, but they don't have doubt, right? So, so often I hear people with just this debilitating plague of self-doubt. And there's this feeling that I hear from listeners all over the world, which is it's almost there's a level of shame around like, who am I to be so big? Who am I to, to put my shoulders back and claim something? I want to, you know, I want to be small or I don't feel like I'm enough or I don't. And then you look at people like Jordan or Kobe and like, there was a way when they walked out from the second you looked at them that everything about their energy was I am claiming this moment. I am responsible to be who I was meant to be, period. I don't apologize for that. And Jordan, for example, people loved him. Like nobody looked at that and said, oh, he's so cocky. People were like in tears, just looking at that power, that power. And so many human beings, especially with so many women listening, don't step into that power because they feel ashamed that somehow that's bad. That makes you arrogant. How do you stay humble, which you are literally, that is the best word to describe you. How do you stay humble, but own your greatness and let go of that doubt, as you just said? Well, what you just said, first, you got to know exactly who you are. 
you got to know exactly who you are. Most individuals don't know who they are anymore. From everything they've taught, everything they've read, everything they've seen, they try to either emulate somebody or that somebody's put so much doubt in their head. You have enough self-doubt on your own. You don't need anybody else yeah. to create more doubt for you. But you know, every day you have an opportunity to win. There's moments you can win every single day. My confidence is the ultimate drug and winning is the dealer. So every time you have those little wins, you should be willing to stand out a little bit more. You should be able to carry yourself with more, more confidence. What happens is once you start to separate yourself from the pack, that safety net is gone. You know, everybody loves to be in the middle. But we, who's the people we idolize the most? The ones that stand out. Yeah. You, yeah. But when you stand out, you're going to get scrutinized for everything yeah. you're, going to, you're going to do. And that's when people start to change into something they're not. Listen, we all have fear. You know, fear is one of the things that propels us the most. You know, I always tell people, you sitting next to somebody and just go ahead and scare them and watch what happens. All of a sudden, everything's in, light, uh, in heightened. They're alert. Everything's going on. They're ready to go. And you have other people that it just paralyzes. All right. So when you get that confidence, you're going to know that there's actually more fear that's going to come with that confidence because as you get more confidence, your goals that you set for yourself, your ambitions, what you want to achieve gets higher and higher and higher. And each time they get a little higher, there's more fear that's going to come along with it. But you never have doubt. You don't have doubt. All right. You know, people that say, if you're in the game, fear, you play to win. Doubt is you play not to lose. Mm. All right. Fear is instinctive. It's an instinctive thing. All right. What happens with doubt? Doubt is self-created. It's created by you. People don't become successful. They don't become champions. They don't become winners because they're actually afraid of success. Because once you become successful, once you become a winner, you are going to be judged more. People are going to be talking about you. Now you've set a standard for yourself that you're like, okay, I got this win. I got to this level. These are the things I didn't do to get here. Not what I did. What are the things you didn't do to get to that level? Now you have to do less of even those things to get to the next level. And people are like, you know what? It's too much. It's too much. And that's when the confidence starts to go back a little bit because you can't win just once. Once you get that taste of winning, once you get that feeling of winning, you want to, you want to hear it all over and over again. It refresh my memory. You said this 21 million. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong on this. You're already thinking 25. Oh, yeah. And how many people have put things in your head and said, you know what? Ah. You should take a day off. You work too hard. Or how about this one? You got no chance of getting to 25. You got no chance of even getting to a million. Now you're like, oh, and those people, they try to get these bombs to explode in your head to take away your confidence. And like you said, make you shrivel, make you put your head down, put you in that state where they have control over that, over that situation. You should have control over your own situation. You should be the only person that you really need validation from. Yes, it's nice to get validation from other individuals, and we all need that re reinforcement, but be careful, all right? Be very careful, because this is what I say, all right? When people clap, are they clapping for you, or are they clapping because they have to? Most people are clapping because they have to for your success not because they want to. And you have to know the difference between those people in your lives. The people that clap for you because they want to and they're genuinely happy for your success, they help you get even closer to your next win. They help you develop your confidence even more. The people that are just clapping because they have to, they're actually trying to take things away from you. And there's more people in life that actually do that than want to see you win, want to see, want to see you succeed, want to see you separate yourself from the pack. Because once you separate yourself from the pack, it exposes things in their lives 
that they weren't willing to do or they didn't do. Right? You think about, you know, in order to get these numbers, the sacrifices and from from the time, energy, commitment, everything that you had you had to do. And you had other individuals that weren't willing to do that. They just weren't willing to do that. And then they, then they throw these terms. Oh, she got lucky. Yeah, yeah, 21 million, you don't get lucky with. You just don't. That's not, that's not, that's not luck. But that's what people think that way is because they need self-insurance for why they didn't do the things that you did in order to get to this point. Well, thank you. I, I'm really beyond humbled that you'd even put me at all in that conversation. Um, but I took a bunch of classes at UCLA. They have this mindful awareness research center and they showed us this data of showing people other people's success and what would happen in the fMRI, what would light up. And most of the time, it's actually more of the bitter feelings that light up in the brain. It takes a very, very high level individual to truly feel joy for someone else. And, And I think the world was sort of in awe when Kobe passed to watch the way Jordan spoke about him at that memorial. That level of um, come with me, brother, rather than who do you think you are trying to like take my spot, right? How he felt for him, the joy he saw in wanting to see him succeed. That again is part of the conversation that I can hear you two having behind the scenes. That's a legacy. That's what greatness is. It's at every single step of the way, really mastering your character. And that's not... It's not something most people are really willing to commit to. The ultimate win. It's easy to elevate yourself. Can you elevate the individuals around? Uh, Can you touch those individuals in a special way that allows them to get closer to winning, to allows them to get closer to success? And the most successful individuals I know out there, business, sports, whatever it may be, charitable organizations, they are the most coachable and they're the individuals that will help anybody out as long as you don't ask them to do the, everything for them. That's where it gets. So what Michael used to do is he used to many times, every player that always asked them for assistance or asked them for help, he would give them a piece of advice, but he wouldn't give them a second piece of advice until they mastered the yeah. first piece of advice. And that's why him and Kobe became so close because every time Kobe asked Michael for something, for you know, for some advice on something, MJ could actually see that Kobe put that into play in his game, into his family life, into his personal life, into his business life. So he said, okay, this individual is worthy of me continuing to give him, to give him information. It, it's just like when I was writing this book, one of the things that, Everybody wanted us put in here. They said, you know, this is the way to sell most books. They were like, you know, you have to give people steps. Everybody wants, they want to have five steps of winning. They want to have 10 steps of greatness. And there are no steps. There are no steps in life. There are no steps to helping other individuals. There's no steps to 21 million. There's no steps to six championship. There's no success to multiple gold medals. All right. Those steps are infinite. They're constantly shifting. They're constantly changing. Are the individuals that are willing to take those steps with you understand that they may have to take steps that aren't even there. You may have to actually not only walk up those steps, you may have to run up those steps. You may have to crawl up those steps. You may have to sit on those steps. And then just when you think you get to the top and you look back down and you're like, I'm only getting started. I'm only getting started. Successful people and winners understand that those steps are infinite, but they have infinite knowledge and information on how to maneuver those steps that are endless. Are you willing to listen? Because it's not going to be easy. Are you willing to listen? And are you willing to do and take action? to take those steps that I've already taken. And most people aren't. I get individuals all the time that says, I'll do anything to work with you. Their definition of anything and my definition of anything is completely different. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. When I give them my definition of anything, they're like, eh, nah, not for me. Yeah. I've been um, on a journey myself doing a lot of meditation over the last 12 years. And I don't really know enough about it, but I have heard so many times that Phil Jackson was definitely wanting that to be a part of their life. And I was just curious because of everything you just said, so much of this has to do with really aligning our mind and heart in that coherent sort of state, getting out of the ego, getting out of the, all of that low vibration, doubt, fear, shame, kind of going up beyond it. What can you tell us? Because you were sort of right there, right in the middle of it. Um, how much of that was a practice for Michael, for Kobe, for for Dwayne? Like it was a lot, but you know what? Each of them had different ways of meditating. So everybody thinks of meditating as one way. All right, but there's so many different ways of meditating. Michael's meditation was to shoot free throws by himself. He would set up this thing called a toss back where you put set up under the basket. When the free throw comes in, the ball basically yeah. return, returns right right back to you. I, I'm sorry, you know basketball. I mean, so that was his way of meditating. He was just like, I need to be in the gym by myself when nobody else is around and just shoot these free throws. That's his space where he went to relax, to, to get really focused, to understand what his feelings were, to control his mind. With Kobe, the way his meditation was, he would study film. That that was his thing. That created clarity in his mind. That created relaxation in his mind. Dwayne was a traditional meditation individual. He enjoyed the solitude. He enjoyed the the music. He enjoyed the senses. He enjoyed, you know, the sage and all, all that other stuff. So each of the individuals had different ways of putting their mind at ease to create clarity. But, and this is going to be very, very important, uh, they knew at certain stages in their careers, at certain stages in their lives, that their minds had to be stronger than their feelings. And people always, when they do meditation, they think it's a feeling thing. It's a mind thing and it's a feeling thing. Remember, winning isn't heartless, but the more you win, you'll learn to use your heart less. So your mind has to be stronger than your feelings. Just think about it. When you can't get out of bed in the morning for whatever happened, right? Your feelings tell you to stay in bed. Your mind tells you to get up. And I always say this, if you're blessed enough to open your eyes and put your feet on the ground, it's a great day. The rest is up to you. The rest is up to you. All right. And now what happens is feelings, most people, when they get up, uh, you're like, all right, they're fighting those feelings. And they finally get up. They do decide to get up. You start to overthink everything. Feelings make you overthink everything, everything, everything. Your mind makes decisions. It says, listen, this is how this day is going to be. I always, when people always ask me, you know, how's your day? I would say, I'm having a great day. Whether I'm having a great day or not, I'm having a great day. I'm not having a good day. I'm not having an okay day. My mind has made a decision that this day is going to be great. It's going to be great. So it is going to be great because, like I said, the two things I can't control, I do everything possible to control those things. but. If I could open my eyes and put my feet out on the ground, it's a great day. The rest of the day is up to me. Now I have to decide on that particular moment, that particular time, the decisions I make. Is it a feelings decision or is it a mind decision? No, most of the decisions you have to make, your mind has to be stronger than your feelings. But what we're going to do is when we do that, we upset a lot of people. We do upset a lot of individuals. It's just the way it has to be because you're constantly making decisions with your feelings all the time. You're usually going to make a lot of lot of bad decisions. You are going to make a lot of bad decisions. I love that. That's like a a spoonful of medicine right there. Doesn't I, taste good. It doesn't <laughs> taste good. No. <laughs> there, there's no sugar on this. There's no sprinkles. No. 
There, there's no uh, frosting, any of this. I'm, you know, people always tell me, said, listen, I'm the family member. Nobody wants in their family, but everybody needs. Right. Because uh, it's full uh, accountability. You're not yes. a victim. Full accountability. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We talked before about how I see this shame that's sort of very prevalent in the world around, you know, being as big as you can be. But I also see for people, they want to protect themselves. And what I mean is, I think many people have dreams, but they are so worried about failing or reaching their arms out for something that they want so badly and, and not seeing it come to fruition. So they say, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't actually want that real that that that's so much or it's like a way of protecting themselves. And so they yes. sit on the bench. They don't they don't take the shot because what if they miss, right? It'll just hurt, it'll sting so bad. And and they're still wired to seven years old when their dad walked out and didn't come back or so-and-so broke their heart or this person got sick. And so they make a decision that says, oh, I have a strategy. You know how I'm never going to be in pain? I won't want so much. I won't dream so big and I'll protect myself. And then they're telling me how, how they're struggling with that, how unfulfilling that is. So there's a courage to having the vulnerability to say, I really do want more. I really Listen, do. The price of regret is so much greater than the price of not going after something. It is so much greater. It's something that will stick with you for the rest of your life. All right, I've done a lot of things that I've failed at, but I have no regrets. I would have more regrets if I didn't do those things. All right, and the price of a regret is so much greater. That's something that just what you just said, it compounds with interest, not daily. Like you said, you know, in like at, at the age of seven, then the, you know, eight, nine, 10, until you're 20, 30, 40, that interest of regret just starts to add up more and more and more and more. And that interest is easy to add on to because there's more people out there that are willing to buy into your story. The other individuals, you know, they'll say, well, I wouldn't do that, or I wouldn't try that, or, you know, and, and the, well, that's you. That's you. I want to try those things. You know, at the end of the book, I say, listen, do everything. Do everything. Experience everything. Feel everything. Winning is everywhere, every single day. Do everything, everything out there. Experience it. See what it feels like, because that's what winning is. Regret is not about winning. Winning is about winning, and winning is about everything that we have a chance to experience, not only for ourselves, for the individuals that are extremely close to us, our families, our closest friends. Think about the feeling that you have when you win or you do something that everybody else tells you not to do. It's a feeling you can't describe. Yeah. You just can't describe it. You know, we have those decisions every single day. Make those decisions for yourself, not what everybody else tells you to do, because they don't know what your winning is about. They don't know what your winning is about. You know what your winning is about and go fulfill it. I love it. Okay. Last question is one of the things that keeps coming up for me is that we can only most of the time achieve that which we believe is possible. And so often you think of people like Jordan, Serena, Nelson Mandela, Dr. King, people who did things, accomplished things that so many people said, well, that's not even possible. That's not happening. That's not, that's not <laughs> practical. It's not realistic, right? It's not realistic for you to be able to go and do X, Y, and Z. And so I hear people struggle with that. It's like, well, Kath, it's very inspiring what you're saying, but it's not realistic. It's not practical. And I say, why don't you try to see more with your mind and heart than with your eyes, right? Yes. So help me understand. There are going to be people who listen to this and they're going to say, well, Tim is a genius, but all the people, him included, they're special, right? I don't believe this for myself. How do we change that? You know, you know how I'm special? I'm the most flawed individual out there and I don't hide my flaws. I use them. I share them with people. People always say they have one big problem with me. I said, what's that? I always tell the truth. 
Now, is that a flaw? I don't know. But it's my flaw that's allowed me to excel at the highest level. And we all have our flaws, but people try to hide our flaws. And your flaws are your gifts that would allow you to do special things, that allow you to excel where other people don't excel. But the question, to answer what you had just said, we go through life, you know, when our school systems, most of our school systems, everything that we go through, all right, everything is what to think, what to think. So people listen, you know, the one thing, one of the criticisms we get from the first book we wrote, Relentless, was it didn't tell us what to do. Exactly. All right. Wow. Because your whole life, you're being told what to do. So these individuals, we have to get out of this mindset here. And this is extremely important. If you take one thing out of this, everybody take this with you. All right. Those individuals that you mentioned, they had the ability not only to know what to think, but how to think. And when you know how to think, you see things differently. You don't see things the same way everybody else does. You have a different level of craziness. And the def- my definition of crazy is you have the ability to see things that nobody else can see. If that's the case, call me as crazy as they, as they can come. So whatever you're chasing, have the ability of not only what to think, but how to think. You think about everything that's been done in this world, with the technology and all that stuff. There wasn't a book for any of that stuff. Those were individuals that came up with, they, they trusted their instincts. They saw something and they came up with this idea of, you know what, this is how to think. This is my ability not to see things the way everybody else sees it. Now, in order to do that, you got to put yourself out there on an island and you got to be ready for the hits that are going to come with it. Most people don't want to take those hits. They want to stay in that safety net. They rather make a suggestion than make a decision because when you know how to think, you have to make decisions. And once you make decisions, you got to answer the hard questions. People are not willing to answer the hard questions. Suggestions and what to think always gives you an out. They always give you that. That's why people are always jumping from one social media guru to the next to the next. If you follow enough individuals, you're going to hear exactly what you want to hear. Not what you need to hear, what you want to hear. And that's going to make you comfortable again. Remember, the brain is designed for two things. All right. It's designed for survival and it's designed to create comfort. Uh, you can get, you can talk to all the neuroscientists, they can get much deeper into it, but that's basically what it's designed to do. Well, what are all the things that we want out of life for ourselves, for our children, for our friends, all that other stuff? We want more than survival. We want to thrive. All right. And in order to thrive, you can't be comfortable. You have to be uncomfortable. So whatever the brain is built for, you have to do the complete opposite in order to do those things. And that's the ability of how to think. How to think creates uncomfortable mindset, a winning mindset. Knowing what to think creates safety. This was just one of the best hours ever. Thank you so much for being who you are, for saying the things you say, for just you. I mean, you're just extremely, extremely special and brilliant and kind and so generous. So thank, thank you. you. Tell us where we can pick up the book. It came out not too, not too long ago at all. It's called Winning the Unforgiving Race to Greatness. Where can we get it and where can we keep following you? Listen, the book is available everywhere. It's available in Audible. It's available in hard copy. It's available in Kindle. It's not available in paperback yet, but wherever books are sold, any book chains, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all your book, your local bookstores, it's available anywhere. I'm the easiest person to find. My uh, <laughs> website is timgrover.com and my Instagram is at timgrover. Thank you so much. Kathy, this was special. Thank you. I can understand why your followers are going the way you do. You make this very easy for individuals to speak to. I just love you instantly. You're one of those uh, people. You make us better. Thank Thank you. you. Bless you. Bless your sweet parents. They did such a good job. The best. Thank you. How amazing is Tim? 
That was such an awesome conversation. Here are the takeaways. Number one, winning is not about the glory or the payday. Winning is about the obstacles, the challenges, and the pain it takes to go there. Number two, your obligation is to give people the best you can possibly be. Number three, we're going to fail more than we succeed. When you fail, stay down there for a bit. Reflect on why you failed and learn from it. Then stand back up as a stronger, smarter person. Number four, you're the only person you need validation from. Number five, the steps are infinite, but be willing to listen and take action to maneuver those endless steps. Number six, if you can open your eyes and put your feet on the ground, then you can choose to make it a great day. The rest of the day is up to you. Number seven, the price of regret is so much greater than the price of not going after what you want. So experience everything, feel everything. Winning is everywhere every single day. And number eight, we want more than survival. We want to thrive. In order to thrive, you can't be comfortable. A winning mindset is an uncomfortable mindset. All right, now we're going to celebrate our giveaway winner. I've been giving away swag every Monday and Thursday. So if you want to enter the giveaway, you can win a cute hoodie or a mug. All you have to do is review the podcast. You can leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or post about the podcast on your Instagram and your stories if you want and tag me at kathy.heller. So today's winner is Memma14. And Memma said, I loved how to break through the subconscious resistance and create a life you love. So many people struggle with negative thoughts and often don't know how to deal with them or just ignore them. Starting the journey to listen to those thoughts is hard, but healing isn't always pretty. Thank you so much. Thank you for that review. And and thank you for being here. I know that you have a million things to do. I know that you have so much on your plate and it means so much that you're here. Don't forget, sign up. There's a free five-day workshop I'm giving next week. I will be there every single day. There are workbooks for every single day. I will be giving away prizes. I'll also be giving away scholarships for my program, but definitely you want to join us for this. Go to kathyheller.com slash challenge. It's going to be amazing. Also, We have amazing guests coming up on this podcast. So many cool people are coming. So make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, wherever you listen, because you are not going to want to miss who's coming up on this show. I'll be interviewing Rain Wilson soon. We have Busy Phillips coming on. So many other people. I want to keep a surprise. You have no idea what's coming. Definitely subscribe. It's free to subscribe, so definitely do so. Finally, I want to ask you... Did you like this episode? Did you feel that Tim was an inspiring person? Was it moving? If you found that this was meaningful and helpful, can you think of somebody who could benefit from hearing it? If the answer is yes, which I believe that it probably is, take a second, send them the link, send them it in a text, in an email, or post about the show on your Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller and then tag Tim. He's at Tim Grover because I know that he would love to see that these words meant something to you. I love you guys so much. I'm going to leave you with a song of mine and we are doing episodes every single week. So I'll talk to you tomorrow. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.